You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. So last week we kicked off a new series uh, based on the New Testament book of 1 Peter. It's called Exiles and Hope. And what we're doing is we're studying and teaching through a letter that the apostle Peter wrote to Christians who were living and scattered throughout various provinces of Asia Minor, the present-day nation of Turkey, during the Roman Empire. And these Christians were living in difficult times. They were experiencing intense suffering and persecution. And Peter writes to encourage them. He writes to really give them some inspiration on how to live out their faith. And in the opening verse of his letter, he refers to them in the NIV translation as exiles. Some translations say sojourners, uh, foreigners. In other words, people temporarily residing on earth whose home, ultimate home, is in heaven. Now, speaking of this idea of, of exiles, when you're not from a country, you can be one of several things. First of all, you can be an immigrant. And I know many of you can relate to that because so much of our church family, you immigrated here to New York from some other nation. And what does an immigrant do? An immigrant immigrant is attempting to acclimate to a new place because they're making that new place their home. So what do you do? You learn the language, you learn the customs, the culture, you rent an apartment, buy a house, go through the naturalization process, right? Because you're putting down roots. You can be an immigrant. If you're in a new country, you could also be a tourist, what does a tourist do? A tourist does the opposite. A tourist doesn't get very involved in the culture because you're just passing through. If you go to a nice resort in Mexico, you don't go to learn Spanish and volunteer at the local homeless shelter. You're there to eat some really good food, relax by the pool, take pictures of your feet in front of the pool so you can post it on Instagram, get a good tan, right? That's what you do when you're a tourist. You're just passing through. But there's a third option. You can be an exile. Now, let's talk about that. Let's put a Christian lens on that. As a Christian, you're not trying to become an immigrant. You recognize that heaven is your ultimate home, so you don't get too involved in in the world. But you also realize that for a time, you're stationed here. You have purpose here. You're not just a tourist. Some Christians have that mindset. Let's all just hold hands and sing, I'll fly away, oh glory, and can't wait to get raptured out of here. And that's not the idea. No, the the idea is that you are in exile or maybe even an ambassador. That's the idea that Peter kind of speaks to later on. Like you live on this planet for a time with a mission. We're exiles in hope. And so you're not an immigrant if you're a Christian. You're not a tourist. You're an exile and an ambassador. And so in many ways, you should expect to be in a foreign environment at times. In many ways, the values of the world should seem, val- should seem uh, foreign to you as a citizen of the kingdom of God. You should expect to experience spiritual struggles and temptation and, and tension. Pa- Peter's trying to help us understand who, who we are in this world. So last week, we covered the opening verses of chapter 1, and Peter started by reminding the believers of who they are and the hope that they hold on to. And we started with this idea that, that how you live is determined by knowing who you are. And so last week in the opening verses, he talked a lot about who the believers are, who, what our identity is in Christ. Then he moves on to how you should live. And that's what we're going to tackle in these next few verses. We're going to start in verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to finish out the chapter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. Are you ready? Here's what the apostle Peter writes. He says, therefore... 
With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So Peter gets back to his main theme of his letter here. And he says, I want to remind you of how to live here and now. I want to remind you how to live out your faith. And he starts by saying, therefore, in other words, in light of everything that he wrote in the opening verses we covered last week, since you have received the benefits of salvation, that's what it talks about in the opening verses, since you have received new birth into a living hope, and and since you are assured salvation, it's kept for you in heaven, he says you should live differently. It should transform the way you live. In other words, the gospel is meant to produce transformation. It's not just about changing our beliefs. Christianity is not just about a philosophy or a set of beliefs or something that we do for one hour on Sunday so we can sing some inspirational songs, hear a motivational message, feel better about ourselves, massage our conscience a little bit. That is not the point. The point is transformation, not transaction. I think so often we have a transactional view of our relationship with God, even if we've heard the gospel. Okay, so Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, right? So I confess my sins to him and he forgives me. And and so I make this exchange with him and now I'm good. I get to go to heaven. No, no, no. The gospel is more than that. If you have that mindset, you'll end up just going to Jesus for professional sin management services, okay? The gospel is not meant to be transactional. It's transformational, It changes you from the inside out. This is about how you live. This is about a different life. This is about the life that God wants for you. This isn't just about something we do on Sunday. This is about every other day of the week. And so here's the big idea today. The gospel is only good news, and that's what gospel actually means. It means good news. The gospel is only good news if it transforms the way you live in this world. Come on, it's good news because it has the power to change your life. It's transformational. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. That's what we're being invited into. And Peter says, I want you to live that out. And so if if you're like me and you'd say, I want that, (laughs) I want to be able to live this out. I don't want my Christianity just to be something I do for one hour on a Sunday, but I want the power to live differently, the life that God has for me. I'm going to give you some principles from 1 Peter chapter 1 to help you out. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Number one, put this in your notes. We need to embrace hope. Well, let me give you the four things. Let me set it up this way. Four things that we need to do in order to embrace gospel transformation, okay? These are the four things. First thing is embrace hope. Embrace hope. Now, last week we talked about the power of a transcendent hope to sustain us, right? We talked about what what Peter said. He called it a living hope, a living hope. Well, Peter comes back to this idea in verse 13. Look at it. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert, fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So the question is, how do we do that? Well, Peter tells us you got to get your mind right first. He says you got to have minds that are fully alert. I like the way the New Living Translation puts verse 13. It says it this way, so prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. This phrase translates literally from the Greek. The New Testament was originally written in Greek as gird up the loins of your minds. Now, what does that mean to gird up your loins? Well, back then in ancient times, men wore like long robes, okay? So this doesn't sound very manly, but if you were like running into battle, you had to tuck your skirt into your belt first. If you were going to run, you had to tuck your robe in, okay? So in other words, 
Peter's basically saying, roll up your sleeves, right? Get ready to go to work, to get your hands dirty. You are going into a battle. You got to recognize, prepare your minds for action. Be alert. And then in verse 13, he says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, Fully sober. In other words, you're awake. You're paying attention to the situation. In other words, Peter's saying to these believers, and I believe by the Holy Spirit yesterday, wake up and recognize the situation you're in. You are citizens of the kingdom of God living in this world, in this fallen world. You're in a spiritual battle. You need to be prepared. You need to be alert. Let me give you this example. A few weeks ago, I was in the city with my family on a Friday night. And uh, we were walking to the High Line, and we weren't in a bad neighborhood. It's Chelsea, for crying out loud. But if you, if you know the city, you know the city can change from one block to the next, right? And so we're having a good time. And then we got to this one block where it was just darker all of a sudden. It just seemed a little sketchier. There was some public housing. And I became fully alert. You know what I'm saying? Like my, my dad radar kind of went off with my family, kind of puffed my chest out a little bit more. You know, like you don't want to mess with this skinny white boy over here. And I was just a little bit more alert than usual. That, that's kind of the picture here, right? Recognize the situation that you're in. Recognize the temptations. Recognize the battle. Recognize the struggles. Don't go through this life as a sleepy Christian. And then let's look at the second half of verse 13. So therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Peter says you got to hold on to the hope of the fact that one day you're going to meet Jesus face to face. He says, hold on to that hope. He, remember last week we talked about how we have a present deposit of a future hope that is to come. And so Peter presents salvation as something that will be completed in the future. This is something that Christians have believed for 2,000 years. It's called the blessed hope of the church, that one day Jesus Christ is going to return to complete your salvation. There's going to be a judgment of the living and the dead, summoned to salvation, summoned to damnation. He's going to right every wrong. He's going to fix up this broken planet. He's going to fully redeem it. His kingdom will be fully come. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth, and we look forward to that day. When this world is no, more, no longer broken. Peter says, remember the hope that you have. You say, well, why is, why is that important for the here and now? Because many of us, many of us bought into a view of Christianity, or maybe you've bought into this idea or came up in a, a view of Christianity that conveyed the idea that the minute you became a Christian, the minute you placed your faith in Christ, everything was complete. Like you're saved, you're forgiven, everything's good. And that is true. That's wonderful. But that kind of faith only holds up until you experience real brokenness in this life. Some of you know what I mean. You can be a Christian, have every bit of faith and trust that Christ has forgiven you of your sins and go through some real brokenness in this world. I've lived long enough to have experienced some of it. And what happens is when you have that kind of faith, that kind of shallow faith, you'll experience a crisis of faith. And so remember, Peter is writing to Christians who are being persecuted. They're experiencing violence and suffering and terrible things. And he says, yes, you have to recognize the situation. You're in a spiritual struggle. You're citizens of the kingdom of, of heaven. You're exiles, but you're exiles in hope. Remember the big picture. One day Jesus Christ will return to finish what he started. All injustice is going to be dealt with. And we're not always going to live in a broken world like this. I love the way the writer of Revelations puts it, Revelation chapter 21, and he'll wipe away every tear from her eyes. It's not gonna be any more death, no more mourning, no more suffering. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, I make all things new. That church is a hope that'll get you through some circumstances. That's a hope that transcends. Peter says, hold on to that kind of hope. That's what will get you, get you through. We're talking about transformation here today. Peter's reminding us that the gospel came into your life, not just to change your beliefs, but to change the way you live. How do we do that? Number two, we need to embrace holiness. Come on, everybody say holiness. Embrace holiness. Look at this, verses 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, when you didn't know God, verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. He quotes from the book of Leviticus. We've got to embrace holiness. Now, what does it mean to be holy? Because holiness sounds like something for really elite Christians. You know, Pastor Jimmy, that sounds like that's for the Christians who are really up there. You know, Mother Teresa and Martin Luther King Jr. and Pastor Danya. You know, the Christians who are like really way up there. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do I live that up? <laughs> well, the biblical idea of holiness is just to be set apart. To be set apart from sin and to be set apart unto God's purposes for your life. Just as God is set apart. Right? The scripture says, be holy as I am holy. Just like there's nothing and no one in this world like God. He is otherworldly. God says, I want my people to be like me. You're set apart for my purposes. And notice how Peter refers to the believers, to the Christians. He says, as obedient children. In other words, that's your identity now when it comes to holiness. You're holy because you're children of God. So don't go, why would you go back to living the life that you lived before when you're children of God, when, when, you, when you didn't know God before, but now he's become a father to you? And I think the real question isn't so much what is holiness, but where do we find the power to live it out? Because if you're like me, I've tried on my own and failed plenty of times. Anybody tried to be holy? Try to do the things of God on, on your own. The question is, where do we find the power to live this out? Because I'm going to tell you what, some, what Peter isn't saying. Peter isn't saying, try harder to be a good person. That's, not, that's what religion says. No, Peter's saying, be who God already made you to be. You're his children. He says, he, God made you holy by his grace. So live likely. Just live more like who God actually made you to be. If you actually really believe that you are his children, if you could get this in your heart, it would change the way you live. The power to do this is found in the gospel that Jesus Christ did for you, which you could not do for yourself. See, religion says, I'm going to live a good life and God's going to reward me. And if you do that, good for you. You get the pat on the back. And that's why so many people are religious in their mindset. I'm a good person. God's going to reward me. The gospel says Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, the sinless life that you could never live, went to the cross, paid for your sins, was resurrected, and the reward that should have come to Jesus is given to you by grace. And that truth gets on the inside of you and changes your heart from the inside out. It's not about outward conformity. I'm trying to do all of these things to be a holy person. It's about inner transformation. That's where the power is. That's where the power is to live, to live the life that God has called us to. Let me give you an analogy, okay? I think the greatest war movie ever made is Saving Private Ryan. You may disagree today, but feel free to be wrong, okay? Saving Private Ryan, one of the greatest war movies ever made, and it's set during World War II, if you don't know the movie. And in the movie... Uh, Tom Hanks plays this character, Captain John Miller, who's on a mission with his platoon to save Private James Ryan, who's played by Matt Damon. And so what Private Ryan doesn't know is that three of his brothers have been killed in action. 
And the army, like this order comes straight from the top, like the general of the whole army decides to bring Private Ryan home to his family so they don't lose all of their sons, okay? So Captain Miller's on this mission to go save Private Ryan. And of course, they go through all the turmoil of war. They're fighting the Germans and throughout occupied France and they lose men and several of their men get, get killed. And at the end of the movie, there's this scene, there's the picture here, where they're on, they're on this bridge and, and uh, they're about to be rescued. Um, the, they were battling the Germans and the uh, American reinforcement soldiers show up and it's very clear that Private Ryan is going to be saved and the mission is complete. But in the midst of all this, Captain Miller gets mortally wounded and he's laying on the bridge, bleeding out. And when he recognizes the moment that the reinforcements are here and his mission is complete, Private Ryan's going to get to go home to his family. He pulls him in in this emotional moment. He says to him, earn this, earn it. And then the movie fast forward to the scene where Private Ryan's an old man and he's in Normandy, France, standing in front of Captain Miller's grave. And he's asking his wife, have I been a good man? You know, have I lived a good life? Now, here's the point. When Captain Miller said that to him, there's no way that Private Ryan could possibly earn what these men did for him. We understand that. Like at what point in time in your life do you're like, well, that's it. <laughs> I just did enough good things and all those guys who died for me back in, in the war, like, yep, I'm a good enough person to deserve what they did for me. Like we laugh at that. We know that's not the idea. What was the idea that he was conveying? He was conveying this idea, live in light of what's been given to you. Live your life with gratitude. Live your life with purpose. Live your life in such a way that it honors the sacrifice that these men made for you. That's the point. And that is a picture of what holy living is. It's not I'm doing all of these things to earn God's favor and impress God. No, it's I'm living in light of what God has already done for me in Jesus Christ. I recognize the gift. So I give my life back to him. Church, holiness is a, it's a gift purchased for you by Jesus Christ. Holiness is not a standard to be reached. It's a reality to be lived in now. Peter says, live into who God already made you to be by his grace. We're talking about transformation today. The gospel comes into our lives and transforms us. We have to embrace the truth of it. What do we need to embrace? Number three, we need to embrace a reverent fear of God. A reverent fear of God. Look at what Peter writes in verses 17 through 21. He said, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. So Peter says, you got to embrace a reverent fear of God the Father. Now, let me talk to you about that for a moment, what that means and how we see God. I think when it comes to how we view God, there are two really kind of common extreme views that people have of God. The first one is what we might call the vengeful view of God. Some of you will recognize this view of God. It's the view of like that God can never be satisfied. He's up there somewhere. He's angry at me. So I have to do a bunch of good things to get in his good favor. I got to jump through a bunch of religious hoops, but I'm never really sure where I stand with him because he's kind of angry. He's the vengeful God. And so this leads to like legalism. You got to do all this religious stuff. Anybody recognize that? Some of y'all came up in some church backgrounds like that, and you need to get set free. Hello. 
There's the, the vengeful view of God. Then I think there's the extreme polar opposite, and that's the, the hippie view of God. That's the view of God, like anything goes, man. God is just all love, and he doesn't care how you live. He doesn't care how you treat people. It's just, God is just all about love, and that's it. <laughs> He's the hippie God. Doesn't care anything about how you live. And that leads to what we might call cheap grace. Peter says, your grace, it, the grace of God came to you as a gift, but make no mistake, it was a costly gift. What did he say? It cost the very life of the Son of God, something so much more precious than silver or gold. And so then he corrects this view. He helps us. He says, let me help you see it correctly. Here's what Peter tells us. God is both a loving father, but also a righteous judge. God is a loving father, but also a righteous judge. Peter, he reminds us that we're children of God. But in the next breath, he also reminds us that God the Father is the same God who will one day judge the world. We're all going to stand before him and give an account for our lives. The same God who's going to right every wrong and deal with every injustice, and we give amen to that, is the same God that we're going to stand before, thankfully by his grace, if you're a follower of Jesus. But we need to be reminded of that every now and then. And Peter gives us a little wake-up call to remember just exactly who God is. And so through Christ, we now relate to God as a father, a good heavenly father by grace, but we still live with a sense of reverence. We live with that sense of holy fear and awe of who God is. That's a good way to understand it. It's not fear in the sense that we're scared of him, but it's an awe. It's a respect for who he is. Let me give you this illustration, okay? If you had good parents then they modeled this for you. Really, we learned how to love God as a father through our, through our parents. I know some of you didn't have a good relationship with your parents or a good relationship with your father, and this is somewhat difficult. But if you did, you, you'll understand this. For a time as a child, you kind of learned to obey your parents out of fear because you know what they can do to you. Right? You know they can punish you. They can take privileges away. If you're old school like me, they might even spank you. I know some of y'all think that's child abuse, but we got some spankings growing up, okay? And I turned out just fine after years of counseling. My therapist said, I'm just fine, okay? I'm good. I promise you, we had some spankings, all right? And my dad made sure you were going to get right with Jesus because you thought you might see him. <laughs> my dad was a pastor, okay? There was a sermon, an altar call, and then you got ready like, Lord, I might be about to meet you right now. <laughs> my dad used to say, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you to have to do this. And I used to think to myself, why don't we flip this thing around? Let me beat the snot out of you. It's going to hurt you so bad. Anyway, where was I at in the message? <laughs> the whole point is, when you're a kid, you, you kind of learn to obey your parents out of fear at first because you know what they can do. They can punish you. They can take privileges away. But over time, you begin to relate to them out of love and respect because you recognize, hopefully as you grow and mature, that they love you, right? I mean, my parents now, I relate to them out of love and respect. They can't punish me. They can't send me to my room. They live on the other end of the country, far away from here, right? But now I respect them more than ever before. There's a deeper love and appreciation, especially as a parent, I recognize all they did for me, all they sacrificed for me. You know, I tell my kids quite often, I don't want you to clean your room or listen to me or do what I ask you to do because you're just afraid you're going to get in trouble. That's so quickly where our human nature goes. And I tell them, I want you to think about all that mom and dad does for you, and I want you to do what we're asking you to do out of gratitude, out of love, because we love you. And because if you don't listen, we might put you up for adoption. I'm just saying. <laughs> and so this is the picture. To, to live with a reverential, a reverential fear of God is to live with an awe 
of who God is. It's to have the proper view of who God is. It's a view that leads to respect. It's a view that leads to gratitude. Yes, he's a loving heavenly father. Yes, we're thankful for his grace, but we recognize he's the creator, the sustainer, the judge of the world. We're gonna stand before him. And I don't know about you, but that, that clarifies my perspective of who God is. He's a loving heavenly father and also a righteous judge. So what do we need to embrace to experience gospel transformation? Number four, Peter says, embrace love for one another. Embrace love for one another. Look at verses 22 through 25. He says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Look at verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. He quotes from the book of Isaiah, these powerful words. He says, you want to experience transformation? Learn to love each other well. Learn to love each other well. You know, over and over again, we see this in the New Testament. All the writers of the New Testament the apostles, you know, Peter and Paul, the other writers, they continually call Christians to love each other. Like the number one thing you can do to change this world is learn how to love each other well. It's kind of surprising. You would think it would say, go out there and learn to love the world really well, and you'll convince them that Jesus is the way. And there's some of that, but really, if you read all throughout the New Testament, the emphasis is always on, hey, you Christians want to change the world? Why don't you start by loving each other really well? Love each other really well, and people will take notice. What did Jesus say? By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. By what? By your love for one another. Come on, Peter's saying, I want you to live differently. The world lives self-centered. The world lives offended by everything. The world lives in social media battles. The world is living in cancel culture, culture you know, canceling people out and trying to make an example of, the, of them. And Peter's saying, don't get caught up in that. I want you to live differently. He's saying, you want to make a difference with your life? Root down in fellowship with other believers and get really serious about loving somebody well. And I'm telling you, somebody needs to hear this today because I preach this message every few months and it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. Everybody amens it. You want to grow spiritually? At some point in time, you got to root down and get into a local church and say, come hell or high water, I'm staying here. If somebody rubs me the wrong way, if somebody forgets my birthday, even though it was on Facebook, Right? If the pastor forgets my name, if somebody preaches a message that offends me one Sunday, even though I came for a hundred Sundays that I like, but I heard one that I didn't like, I'm not going anywhere because so many people bounce from place to place, offended by this, upset by that. And you know what happens? They stay at the same place spiritually. They don't grow. And so at some point in time, you got to root down. And I'm telling you, nothing will grow you like getting in relationships with other believers. Now, fair warning, okay? We're not a perfect church. I love our church. We're a good looking church. Amen, somebody? We're a good-looking church. Talented, filled with all kind of beautiful people. But if you stick around long enough, you're going to find that we're flawed, we're imperfect, okay? If you thought this church was perfect, please don't join it because you're going to mess it up, okay? It's not perfect. But here's the reality. Peter's saying, if you want to follow Jesus well, you got to learn to love people. Now, here's the tricky thing. The only problem is that people can be really hard to love. <laughs> this Christianity thing would be easy if not for all the people. 
So where do we find the power to do it? How do we do it? Peter tells us, verse 23, for you have been born again through the living and enduring word of God. The power to love people who are hard to love, it's found in the word of God. I love this imagery from Isaiah. All people are like grass and all their glory is like the flower of the field. The, the, the grass withers and the flowers fall. He says, you impressed with yourself, your socioeconomic status, the car you drive, the money you have in your bank account, your job title, how good you look in that bathing suit on Instagram, we see you. He says, you're impressed with all this stuff. He's like, oh, your glory is gonna, gonna fade away, but you know what's gonna stand? The word of God, the word of God. And so how do we do it? When you, when you get the word of God into your heart, it changes your heart because when you, get, when you get God's heart, you get the heart of Jesus and you can begin to love people the way God loved people. Come on, you can love them the way Jesus loved you because how did he love you? He loved you when you least deserved it. He loved you when you least deserve to buy his grace. And so what happens is when you get the word of God, you begin to get the heart of God inside of you, the heart of Jesus. And so that gives you the ability by grace to love people the way God loved you. But they don't deserve it, Pastor. You don't know what they did to me. Well, did you deserve the forgiveness of Jesus Christ? Did you deserve the precious life of the one and only son of God? No, but he loved you by his grace and I'm telling you, it'll unlock the power to love, to forgive, to release, to bless, to put up with that difficult person in our lives who we wanna pray out of our lives, we wanna cut out of our lives, but quite often that person is the number one thing that God is wanting to use to grow you, to make you more like Jesus. That person that we wanna cut out of our lives is quite often the person God wants to use to make you more like Jesus. So let's land the plane here. Peter tells us the gospel was meant to transform the way you live in this world. Not just your thoughts, not just your beliefs, not just your doctrine. This isn't just something we do for one hour on a Sunday morning. This is meant to change our lives. Not just Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You know, the other night I woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't sleep. I was on vacation and a lot of times when I wake up like that and I can't go back to sleep, I start praying. I figure, well, I got time right? And maybe God's trying to get through to me. And let me just give you a tip too. If you start praying, a lot of times you'll fall back to sleep, by the way. <laughs> I started praying and I was kind of half awake. And it was funny because I hadn't had a stressful day. I was on vacation, woken in the night. And I found myself even kind of half awake, repenting. Found myself, I don't know, I didn't remember what it was that day. The Holy Spirit just bringing things to my heart, attitudes, the way I was seeing people, maybe the way I was treating my family, the way I'm looking at my relationship with God and, and just found myself repenting, just find myself crying out to God for his grace and his mercy, just being reminded of who, who God is. The Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And so today I just wanna end by allowing you to have some space to meet with the Holy Spirit. And I wanna just create some space. I'm gonna put a few questions on the screen. Maybe you wanna take a picture of these or put these in your notes today, but you can pray over these throughout the week and I believe the Holy Spirit's gonna speak to you. And I would suggest writing them down now so he doesn't have to wake you up at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> a lot of people in the first service didn't write them down. I'm like, oh, a lot of y'all gonna get woke up at four o'clock in the morning this week. All right, here's the first one. What do you need hope for today? What do you need hope for today? I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what you're trusting God for, but we're talking about real hope. Not just pie in the sky hope, but a, a hope that transcends our circumstances. That's based on the person of who Jesus Christ is. What do you need hope for in your life? What do you, number two, what do you need to let go of so you can embrace holiness, to live set apart to God? There's gonna be four questions. 
willing to let go of so you can embrace holiness to live set apart for God. Maybe it's some sin in your life. Maybe it's some temptation you're, you're battling. Maybe it's un, unforgiveness in your heart towards someone. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's some destructive habit in your life that you need to let go of so you can, you can embrace who God called you to be. Number three, what would it look like for you to live with a healthy, reverent fear of God? With a healthy, reverent fear of God, a holy awe, a respect. Maybe you've gotten a little bit too cozy with how you see God. You need to be reminded that he's a God that we're gonna stand before one day and give an account for our lives. And that's a wake-up call for me. What would it look like? And then number four, who do you need to love more fully? Who do you need to love more fully? Maybe it's somebody difficult in your life right now. Maybe it is someone you need to forgive. Maybe it's somebody you just need the grace of God to love that person. Pray over those this week. And I believe the Holy Spirit's gonna speak to us and he's gonna give us the power to live into who he's called us to be, amen? Come on, would you stand with me this morning? We're gonna take a moment to pray and do this. Church, can I just remind you today as we stand to pray, Peter isn't saying, try harder. Peter isn't saying, be a good person to win God's approval. Peter isn't saying, attaboy, go get him. Peter's saying it's by his grace. You can be who God called you to be. You can experience transformation. Your life can change how? By the grace of God, through the power of the gospel that Jesus Christ did for you, which you cannot do for yourself. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God can help you to live the life he's calling you to. So can we just take a moment and ask him to help us today? Lord, we're coming to you today. God, we're thanking you for your grace, thanking you for your mercy. God, we thank you for your word that even as we read before, that the grass and the flowers will fade away, but the word of God stands forever and it comes to us today and it's alive and it gives us power to be who you've called us to be. And so Father, I'm praying for hope for every person in this place who's walking through brokenness and hopelessness, that they would have a hope that transcends their circumstances. Lord, today I'm praying that you would help us to embrace holiness, not by our own power, but just to be more of who you've already empowered us to be, your sons and your daughters, to turn away from sin and to come to you. Lord, to live with a reverent fear in awe of who you are, God, to remind us today that we would respect you and honor you for who you are. And Father, give us grace to love that person, that we need grace to love the people around us, that we need your grace to love, even when they least deserve it, because Jesus, you, you loved us when we least deserved it. And so now as we're praying, I wanna pray for the person in this place today who would say, Pastor Jimmy, I wanna know God that way. I wanna have a relationship with God. Uh, maybe you grew up religious. Maybe you've tried hard to be a good person. Maybe you've jumped through the religious hoops in the, in the past, but you'd say today, I, I feel so far away from God. I'm so mindful of my sins. I, I don't know where I stand with God. You said before that some people don't know where they stand with God. I, I don't know where I stand with him today. If that's you in this place and you'd say, but something is drawing me to him today, we would say that God is drawing you to himself by his son, Jesus Christ. He's, he's pouring out his grace on your life and drawing you to himself. And it starts by placing your faith in him and saying yes to Jesus. I wanna invite you to do that today, to say, Jesus, I say yes to you today. I place my faith in you today. Pray this with me. I believe you are who you said you are, the son of God, that you lived a perfect life that I could never live. That you died on the cross for my sins and you were resurrected to give me new life. I place my faith in you. I turn from my sins. 
and I trust in you today. Give me the power of your Holy Spirit to live for you. Father, I thank you for every person who prayed that prayer today for the first time, for the hundredth time. God, we thank you for new life, for people born again, never the same. Sons and daughters, welcome home in your house, and we give you praise today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, can somebody put your hands together? Give God praise in this place. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week. Careers and money and relationships, and those things aren't bad. It's just that we end up trying to make those things the most important thing, and we end up dealing with sin and temptation and playing defense, just trying not to sin. Ever been there before? Just trying not to sin, playing defense. And God's saying, I've got so much more for you. I'm inviting you into a whole different life to become who I've called you to become. Can I just encourage you today? Jesus didn't just come to save you from something. He came to make you into something. He didn't just come to save you from something. We're so familiar with that. He came to save me from my sins. He came to save me from damnation. He came to save me from hell. Yes, that's true. But he didn't just come to save you from something. He came to make you into something, into someone. His son, his daughter, his child, part of his family. Come on, you are a chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may show forth, you may Show out the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, come on, let's fall in love with him all over again. Let's fall in love with his grace all over again. Let me tell you, it's by the grace of God that I am what I am. That's what the apostle Paul said. It's by the grace of God. Come on, let's get in touch with his grace all over again. God, thank you. Thank you that you saved a place for me. God, thank you that you saw potential in me. God, thank you that I was worth you sending your son, Jesus, to, to redeem me. Come on, here's the good news. God, thank you that you didn't just leave me to do this on my own, but you placed me in a family. You gave me a church. You gave me people who love me, who will pray with me, who will hold my hand with me, who are going on the same journey with me, and we're going to get there together. We're being built into a spiritual house where God's presence can dwell. Come on, we're not in this by ourselves, but he's doing something in our lives. And he's building us together to be a spiritual house where literally we can experience the presence of God. And I don't know about you, but when I think about that, it inspires me. It changes my heart. It gets me out of defense mode and settling for so much less. I'm just going to avoid sin. And it gives me a little bit of Holy Spirit infusion to say, God, I want to step into everything that you're calling me to become. Amen? Because he's got something beautiful in his heart for you. So would you stand with me? And can we take a moment to pray into this today? To ask God to help us. I know we, need, we can only become what he desires us to become by his grace, through the work of his Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? If you're comfortable, maybe you want to just bow your head and just lift your hands and say, God, I need you. I'm open to you as a symbol of surrender. God, I'm building my life on you. Jesus, I'm coming back to you as my cornerstone. Coming back to you is the foundation of my life. Would you do that with me today? God, we need your presence. 
God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this truth today. Lord, we thank you for reminding us of who we can be because, Lord, we're capable of settling for something so much less. But, Lord, we thank you by your spirit. You call us to something so much more. And we open your word and we get a glimpse of it. And, Lord, we say, go ahead and do a work in us today. Somebody needs to make that personal. God, go ahead and do a work in me today. Draw me closer to you. Jesus, we're coming back to you to be the cornerstone of our lives. We're going to get rid of the things in our junk drawer that we need to get rid of so we can make more room for you in our hearts today. Jesus, we are declaring today, someone needs to pray this, you are the foundation of my life. You are the foundation of my home. You are the foundation of my marriage if you're married. Jesus, you are the cornerstone of our lives. We're coming back to you today. And Lord, we're asking by your spirit to make us into everything that you're calling us to be. We want to step into that reality. Lord, to be those who carry your presence, living stones in your house, being built into something greater than we could ever be in our own. Priests who carry your presence in a broken world and a chosen people who belong to you, made by your grace, made by your mercy, who walk in it, who live in it. Father, I pray that, pray this over your people. May they become everything you desire them to be by your mercy and your grace. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, if you receive that into your life, would you say amen? Amen? Amen.